Well, it is good to be with you today, whether you are here in the room with us or joining us live. uh, I thank you that on this very active weekend that you would take a few moments to be willing to gather with us. Um, We believe that this is our last Sunday in our current format. Now, we're going to continue to live stream. That's going to go on. Uh, We're we're not looking to stop that anytime. Um, But next week, we are also planning not only to be here, but but also at other campuses. And so this week, we're going to be sending out, be looking for it, lots of information, dealing with kids' ministry, um, things like masks, because we've got different campuses under different counties and different mandates, and so we're going to do our best to just communicate as much as we can over this next week. And I'm going to do this, um, I think, to a greater degree later, but it, it just seems like one of those moments as we change gears, I want to thank, man, all the greeters, the worship team, the production team, those of you who, who even gathered here, many of you have served over the last two or three months. Even though this may not be your normal campus, you came together to help us navigate this thing. And you were willing to serve together in, in a time of some really strange systems and methodology, and you willingly did so even though Many of us have different views as to how this should be done. And I thank you for that. This was sent to me this week, and it made me laugh. Literally, out loud, it it made me laugh. Three weeks ago, church member number one, pastor, why in the world are we reopening church services so soon? Church member number two, pastor, why in the world did you ever shut down church services in the first place? Two weeks ago, church member number one, pastor, you don't seem to care about the struggle of minorities. Church member number two, pastor, why haven't you been more supportive of the police? A week ago, church member number one, required mask. Pastor, clearly you don't care about human lives. Church member number two, required mask. Pastor, clearly you don't care about human liberty. This week, Lord, are you sure you don't want me to sell cars for a living? (laughs) That's why I laughed out loud. I did. Now, I'm not ready to sell cars for a living yet. Because quite honestly, I don't feel this way because the truth of the matter is, even though we may differ on a lot of how to do this, you guys have been kind in this. You truly have. And I still believe there is a life-changing message to be spoken into every one of those lives holding every one of those views. And so we're going to keep rolling. Anytime, and I don't feel this now, but anytime that I start feeling a poor me mentality about dealing with people, you ever hit those seasons? You just start going when you're dealing with people and it just becomes this poor me mentality. A long time ago, I learned to turn my attention toward one guy when I start to feel that. That one guy's name is Jeremiah. 
When I start feeling poor me about dealing with people, I go back to Jeremiah. His is a story that you find in the Bible. And and as the story opens, there are some powerful, powerful words that God speaks over Jeremiah's life, even before he's born. Check this out. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. This is how it reads. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And the question is, why would God do that? Like, why would God choose to make a declaration over Jeremiah's life even before he's born? But when you read Jeremiah's statement, it it is my view that Jeremiah went through so much adversity. I'm not sure he would have ever been able to stand through it, except he had the certainty of the calling and the identity from God himself. It's as though God gave him before he was born exactly what he was gonna need to deal with with the people in his life. So our story today, Jeremiah is doing what he always does. He's preaching. And can I tell you that Jeremiah preached for 20 years and nobody ever said, I'm with Jeremiah. No joke. 20 years, Jeremiah proclaims what God tells him to proclaim and not one single time does somebody go, I'm with him. No. And so Jeremiah in our story today is doing what he always does. He's declaring God's word and nobody wants to hear it. The message that Jeremiah is giving is you need to surrender basically to the the Babylonians, to the enemy. If you surrender, you're going to live. If you fight this thing, you're not going to live. And nobody wants to hear that message. And so four guys with names so difficult to pronounce that I'm not even going to try it today. They show up and declare to the king about Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 4 is where we're going to pick up the story. Here's what they say. This man should be put to death. Is that serious enough for you? Jeremiah should be put to death because this man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. Now, when you read the story, and I encourage you to read all of chapter 38, maybe later today, they are making false accusations about Jeremiah. They are misrepresenting. They are misconstruing his words. But they're not just trying to frustrate the man. They want him dead. Verse 5. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. Now, can I just tell you, that is a joke. He's the king. The king has some pull. <laughs> the, king, the king can make some decisions, but it's like he's, he's just afraid, right? He, he, he won't do anything. And so it continues, verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and they put him into the cistern of Malchijah the king's son, 
which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Prophet of God. God saying, this is my man. He's going to speak for me. And now Jeremiah finds himself in the bottom of an old cistern. There's no water in it, but it's mud. You ever done something that you really felt like God told you to do? And then all of a sudden, you realize it feels like you're up to your neck in mud. This is deep trouble for Jeremiah. I mean, we, we, we clean this thing up, but come on, an old nasty cistern? I mean, imagine what the bottom of that thing was like, just that old mud, like where, where you don't get much air circulation, right? There's not a whole lot of fresh air going on at the bottom of, of, a, of a cistern, and just the, the, the stench that would come from that, and, and here is Jeremiah literally sunk into this mud. The plan is eventually he'll just starve there, unless somebody does something. Verse Seven. But Ebed Melech, we're going to call him Ebed the rest of the way, all right? But Ebed Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. Now, a lot of times, in, depending on the translation that you have, sometimes it refers to him from Ethiopia, all right? But when you hear that word Ethiopia, if that's the word that's used in, in your translation, don't think of Ethiopia as we know Ethiopia today. This would have been connected to the land of, of Cush that it was called, which represented a people of the sub-Saharan Africa. That's where he's from. And I want you to notice what he does. He notices he notices. It, it says he heard what, what was going on with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, is in the, the cistern. In, in other words, here's a man who, who's able to, to listen. He, he hears what's going on around him. He's aware of Jeremiah's cry, right? The one who is in need. And today, I, I want us to see that when it comes to serving people, Right? Last week we talked about sometimes God calls you to get involved in messes that you didn't make. It's a principle that comes with the kingdom of God. Thank goodness Jesus did that for you. Well, how do you actually serve somebody? How, how, do, you, how do you really walk through that when, when someone is in a mess? Here is a man literally in the mud, in a pit, Here's the first thing. Ebed, he sees the need. And that's where we start, that we will see the need, the needs of people around us. Last week, we, we, we talked about how sometimes you've got to turn off the masses in order to turn into those who are nearest to you 
that have needs. And I told you last week, come on, we have this way of walking around with, with, with our phones all the time. There's this 24-7 access to information that your soul was not meant to bear. And sometimes you got to be willing to tune some things out in order to be able to tune into the people who are closest to you that really may have needs. Now, I get it. The question that ought to come back is something like, Jeff, but but what about the broader global problems of our world? And and I'm saying, yeah, there, there is a sense of responsibility that we should feel regarding the issues of our world. I'm not saying be completely ignorant on those things, but I am saying, saying be proximate be proximate with those things in other words get close get close enough to listen close enough to do something whether you feel a passion about people in another part of the world who have needs or whether you have a passion for people who live in another part of your town that have needs. You're never going to meet those needs until you get proximate. You're never going to meet those needs until you get close enough to hear their stories instead of just buying the stories that everybody else is telling about them. You got to get close. Ebed could see the need of Jeremiah because he was close enough to hear what was going on. And the question for us is, are we willing to do what is necessary to get close enough to really hear, to really see the need? Verse 8, let's keep going. Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, the him here is the king, my lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They've thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Here's what I want you to notice. Just like Ebed, after we see the need, there is a second step that he takes. It is to speak the need. I see the need, and then I speak the need. He starts drawing attention to the need that he sees. He, he takes his, his audience with the king. Now, names are often important in the Bible. And Ebed's is an interesting name because Ebed-Melech means servant of the king because that's what he was. He was a servant of the king. And so he uses his influence, he uses his voice, he uses his privilege to make sure that the king knows what's happening here and that something must change. My question is what influence, what talents, what resources do you have? You say, Jeff, I don't, I don't, really know where to go with any of that because I, I, I don't know any kings. Like, I, I don't know any royalty. I, I don't know powerful people. Jeff, what am I supposed to do when a, you, you say see the need and speak the need, but, I, but I, don't, I don't know where to take it? Can I tell you for me personally, there are moments where I perceive a need and I don't know what to do with it. 
And so after talking to God about, is this really a need? One of the things that I will start to do is just start talking about it. Start talking about it with people in conversations. You meet people, hey, hey, and you bring up the need. And what I have discovered is that sometimes in the most supernatural ways, before you know it, God will have connected you with the very people in which you know where this needs to be taken next. It's amazing how God does that. It's just our problem is sometimes we see a need and we are so quick to get busy again and we just move on and we don't know where to take it that we never actually speak anymore about the need that we perceive that needs to change. Speak it. You see it, you speak it. Verse 10. The king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, take 30 men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So we see the need, we speak the need, and what Ebed does next is we support the need. We support the need. In this particular case, 30 more men are involved in this process. Now, come on. I mean, I don't know exactly what this cistern's like, but couldn't Ebed and, I mean, at least a buddy pull Jeremiah out? You know what I'm saying? I mean, could, couldn't they at least get him out? I mean, 30, 30 people to pull him out? I, I don't know the circumstances behind all that. I just know that in this particular case, victory here isn't simply won by a lone ranger. Apparently, the need was so big that 30 other mighty men were needed to intervene. All I know is Ebed rallied the support. And it's the reminder, the work of all of us always accomplishes more than the work of one of us. It does. Just reminded this week, a little history. Back in the early 90s, Microsoft hired a small army of writers and supervisors and professors. It was people with master's degrees and doctorate degrees and they, were, they, they did the research and compiled the information, edited the information, and Microsoft produced something. You're, anybody old enough to remember what it, what it was? It, it really changed how we saw an encyclopedia. It was called Encarta. Anybody remember that? That was like a few days ago. But here's why it was such a big deal. This is pre-internet. And so in the old days, you literally had to wade your way through 26 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Anybody remember those days? Like you're pulling Britannicas off the shelf and opening literal books of the Encyclopedia. All of a sudden, Microsoft compiles all this information onto a CD-ROM. Remember when that was a big deal? And everybody's like, yes, no more shelves of encyclopedias. But today... That all has continued to involve Encarta really didn't last all that long. And some of the reason is because of what happened online and information that became available. But do you know what like the fifth most viewed website in the world is today? It's Wikipedia. And I get it. Don't try to put Wikipedia as a reference for your thesis. All right, that, that's not gonna go down well. But my point is, Wikipedia is a different format in that they didn't hire a bunch of professionals to 
write the articles. This is not doctorates. I mean, it's people. People who contribute and then they edit. Now, you got to be careful because anybody can edit. But my point is, it's become so useful of just people's information. And as they compile it, it is now the fifth most viewed website in the world. People have access to it. And I'm saying there's a little bit of the picture there that the church is like that. It's the power of everybody working together to accomplish more than just the somebodies doing the work. The church is supposed to be made up of people who believe. They believe with their lives, meaning they're, they're devoted to Christ and, and the commission that he's given us, that, that, that we get to join God in this great rescue plan of redemption and, and restoration. Come on, he, he's got plans for you. Good works for you. I, I remind you, you, you look in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you're saved, but do you remember what it says next? There are good works that he's pre- pre- planned already for you. He, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, God's word equips us for those good works. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks us about the gifts that are given by the Spirit of God to empower us to accomplish those works. Man, you're, you're supposed to be a part of the plan. In reaching into the pit and helping to lift people out. You see the need, you speak up about the need in order to gain support for the need. Let's keep rolling. Verse 11. So Ebed Melech took the men with him and went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. You see the need, you speak the need, you support the need, and then Ebed teaches us you supply the need. You supply the need. Now, some of this seems like just inconsequential detail. I mean, but this is my favorite part of the story. It is. He goes to this wardrobe of the storehouse of the king, and he gets these old clothes. I'm saying it's wild that he even knew where to go. But I think all of that was God. All of that was God, right? Giving him what he needed to meet this need. Not enough to just see or speak or rally support. Eventually, if you're going to meet people's needs, you got to get some skin in the game. You got to supply something. Sometimes money, sometimes energy, sometimes convenience, sometimes time. There's an old quote by an old Scottish minister from the 1800s. His name was Robert Murray McShane. This is, this is what he said, and this is tough, but I needed to be reminded this week. Listen to what he says. Ah, my dear friends, I am concerned for the poor but more for you. I don't know what Christ will say to you in that great day. You seem to be Christians and yet you don't care for the poor. Oh, what a change will pass upon you as you enter the gates of heaven. You'll be saved, but that will be all. 
There will be no abundant entrance for you, for he that sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. I fear that there are many hearing me who may well know that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, friends, enjoy your money, make the most of it, give none of it away, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Paul. I'm convinced that there's a greater issue in our day and in our culture than money. It's time. It's time. It has become the idol of our day, our time. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 reminds us, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I, I, I'm not rewriting scripture. I'm just saying I think it also applies to go, if any of us has life and breath and time that God has given us and sees our brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Two trees right now stand in my backyard. One of them is full of leaves, and the other one has not one leaf on it. You want to guess which one's alive? And I think that's the picture to which Scripture points us and goes, you can tell. Come on, you can tell who's alive. You can tell who really has the life of Jesus in them. You seek the need, you speak the need, you support the need, you supply the need, and then there's just one more, verse 12. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, check this out, put these old rags and worn out clothes under your arms. Put them under your arms to pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so, and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. This is why that's my favorite part about the rags. Here's the last thing that we see Ebed teach us. It's about learning to sympathize the need. I, I think that is amazing that Ebed thought of that. I mean, he didn't just think Let's get some ropes to pull the man out of the cistern. He goes further than that, and he goes, Jeremiah is beat up, and he's bruised. He's, he's worn from probably the way they treated him before they put him in the cistern, and then now that he's been in the cistern and he's, he's stuck in the mud and everything, that there's, he knows the condition that in that wild, he thinks that far. He thinks that far. He thinks beyond just tie a rope around him and pull him up. He's like, let's get some old clothes. Let's, let's put them under his arms because this will actually make it easier for him as we're trying to drag him out. How compassionate is that? How personal is that? How, how tender is that? And I don't know how Ebed knew that stuff. I don't know. Was it just because he had access to, to knowing what had happened to Jeremiah? Uh, maybe Ebed, I, who knows, had he, had he ever experienced something like that? 
Sometimes when you walk through something yourself, it teaches you to think that way for people who are going through similar things. You think about the details. You go beyond just the, just the surface. God can use that when you go through difficult things to help people go through difficult things. But you don't have to be in a pit to help people out of a pit. Sometimes it just means you got to take the time to pay attention. The qualification is not based on experience. The qualification is based on love. The Bible all the way through is really a story of Jesus. And so even in the Old Testament, when we're reading these stories, I'm always going, where's Jesus in this story? (laughs) Where is, where is Jesus in this picture? And I think it is, it is certainly safe to say that one of the pictures we have of Jesus is, is Ebed. I mean, come on, his actions, right? Is that not exactly what it looks like? Jesus who sees our need, right? And, and not only sees our need, but is willing to act on our behalf that he would, that he would come to, to be with us And through his death and resurrection, he lifts us out of the pit. Check out this verse, Hebrews chapter 4. This is what it says in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He says, come on, he he saw your need, he supplies your need, but there is also this this full sympathy in every way. He, He can empathize, he knows what you have been through. He stood through it strong and now you can approach him and there's mercy and there's grace. That's why we praise Jesus. That is why we worship him. This is why we will not stop singing about him, right? This is why we magnify him because he is worthy and deserving of it all. But I think there's one more way that we can see Jesus in this story. And I'd like to remind you of that other way today. This is how it reads from Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and stuck in the mud in a cistern prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or stuck in a pit and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
in the pit, beaten, betrayed. There is this imagery where when we see Jeremiah looking up from the bottom of that pit, in a way Jesus says, "Do do do you see me? In the faces of the ostracized, the marginalized, the homeless, the thirsty, the hungry, the hurting, the oppressed, the poor, the victims of injustice, do you see me? And whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Now I'm going to leave you with this because there is an epilogue to this story. You can read it. But after Jeremiah is removed from the pit, the king declares, I want a meeting with Jeremiah. Now, he doesn't do it where everybody can see. You read the story. He meets at a certain gate. It's only a gate that the king would typically go to. It's kind of a secret meeting. And basically, the king is saying, Jeremiah, I want you to give me God's instruction. And Jeremiah is hesitant to give it to him. Now, that's kind of weird. It's not normal that a prophet of God is asked, give me God's instruction, and the prophet goes, hmm, I don't know. That, that, that doesn't happen even in the Bible very often. But when you read Jeremiah chapter 38, the last part of verse 15, you get the answer as to why Jeremiah does so. Here's what he says. Even if I did give you counsel... You wouldn't listen to me. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? (laughs) He's like, you want me to tell you what God says? But you know what? You won't listen to me. Can I tell you that sometimes I kind of get that? Because sometimes I think we can walk through a day like today and we read a most remarkable story and we go, yeah, 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 see the need and yeah, yeah, what was that, speak the need and yeah, what was that third one, support the need. But, but I'm just telling you, the question God's asking is, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with this? Now, I'm admitting, come on, I, I have been guilty I have been guilty of doing the very same, and it's the reason I'm bringing it up today. Did you know it is possible to preach messages and not actually do it? So I'm not just throwing rocks in one direction. I'm saying I, I get this wrestling match where we can talk it, we can study it. We can go, I have never heard that story about Jeremiah before. What a cool story. And he's going, there are people around you in a pit. What's your next step? And I'm reminding you that the metric we just read that Jesus uses in separating the true sheep from the goats is are you putting into practice what I've given you? And we go, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but, but, but I have faith. Yeah, 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 but, but I've, I've prayed the prayer. When I was, when I was right, umpteen years old, I, I prayed the prayer, right? Yeah, 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 but when I was, this, I, I was baptized and Jesus is going, yeah, 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 but I never knew you. And my question today is, do you know him? Do you know him? Because when you know him, then when you hear his word, 
It is not just a little input into your life. It is not just some inspiration to help you, right, get through the next day. When you hear his word, it becomes your life. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. You do not serve people to know God, but when you know God, you will develop a heart that looks like his. You will. By the way, Jeremiah did meet with the king. And he eventually realized it was not his responsibility, right, for the king's response. It was just his responsibility to deliver to the king what God had said with a heart that wanted the king to take it. What will you do? Those of you who are seeing and speaking and supporting and supplying and sympathizing with the needs of those around you, Don't allow an enemy to so discourage you by those that you see or not that it makes you quit. Instead, I challenge you to take another look into the eyes of the ones you see in the pit. And when you look them in the eye, hear your Savior say, whatever you do, for the least of these, you do it for me. God, I'm asking today that you would encourage your people to move. As you send them out, God, with life that you have breathed into them, a heart that sees different than they used to. God, a heart that is not now absorbed with self, but a heart that begins to look like yours. God, I'm asking that you would encourage them. God, today, God, for those who really are trying to work this out, God, maybe there are some today who see a need and and, and they're kind of stuck in knowing what to do with that. God, I pray that you would give them a boldness and a courage today. God, help us to trust you in those next steps, to speak of what we are seeing God, to be willing to to support and to supply. God, give us eyes to to sympathize with, with where those who are hurting really do find themselves. God, I'm asking today that your people could truly be mobilized with the power of your spirit. God, that really does reach into the pits even today and lifts people out. God, I thank you for a good news of a real savior who died for us and rose from the dead. He went into the pit, he came out. And therefore, God, you allow us to live this life with a message, with a hope. God, you desire to do the same for a world around us. So God, I'm asking today in a really strange story, in a really strange place even in the Bible, God, that you would ignite the hearts of your people, that the love that we have experienced from you will begin to overflow from the people around us. Don't let what we don't know keep us from moving. God, help us not to let our fear, God, help us not to allow what we think we don't have to keep us from moving forward as you send us 
out. Help us to live. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.